Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Napa know-how. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Matt Kanata, joined by Aaron Sutton, James McKinney in the background, and, of course, Joshua Houts. And we don't have an intro for you tonight because we have gotten in trouble. I guess the uh, NSYNC song last week hit a nerve, and then the uh, train song with Jay Ajayi hit another nerve the week before. So, unfortunately, we don't have that for you. We are working on a new song to date next week. Sutton and House are in the studio with me later this week. We're going to be singing a few tunes, a few, a few mixes of our favorite hits. Oh, we're going we're gonna to drop some singles and some hits on yeah. that ass. We, we will be bringing it your way <laughs> next week. And if you hear me, uh, my voice kind of crackling up, I'm still recovering from my trip from Cleveland this past weekend where I met the one and only Sutton. And Sutton, I don't know if you want to shed some light on our trip this past weekend. I mean, I'd love to. I mean, not only did you get to meet me, you got to meet my sister and her boyfriend. I kind of welcomed you to the whole family. So um, I'm going to expect some Christmas gifts this year because I got too many damn kids to afford them myself. So I'm going to go ahead and send some stuff my way. Um, but no, it just uh, it was it was good to meet you and your friends and you guys just all seem like you uh were having a good time and um we went we we made our rounds around cleveland i mean i'm not gonna lie we did some some taxiing some ubering to some different locations and mix it up there was one point there was Um, one point where we had eight people in a taxi cab (laughs) sitting yeah we were doing um yeah, that was a great selfie that you took there because um, <laughs> you like that. It was just it was it was one of those great midnight, like okay, it was a great like before and after type of moment for us to see right, what right. we were doing before that point and then afterwards because I don't I, I didn't even tell you this but I got home that night and I was don't remember how I got home. I know Jennifer, oh, my Jesus. wife, picked me up, but I don't remember. <laughs> going to sleep with no clothes on that night. So oh my either my wife ravaged me without in, me was, knowing it. I was not I was not in the room with him when he had his clothes off. Just, See, that's just how a quick happened. note on that one. That's how it all happened. No, it was Very fun. important it was disclaimer. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah, no, if you're Very wondering important. why the hell I was in if you're wondering why the hell I was in Cleveland. Each year um my buddies and I we take a trip to a different city around the uh, NFL. We went to Buffalo last year. I couldn't go with them the year before, but they went to Chicago. This year it was Cleveland. Wait, you, were, you, you guys were in Cle- Buffalo last year? It was I'm, absolutely I'm terrible. Absolutely terrible. I, I mean, were you there uh, for the Dolphins you're... game, though, or at a different time? No, no. We went to the Cowboys game. Oh, so, okay. Uh, I was going to say, because I was yeah. there at the Dolphins-Bills game last year. But anyway. No, Buffalo is absolutely dreadful. So, Kathy D'Amato, if you're listening, uh, your city sucks. Anyways, uh, <laughs> Cleveland Cleveland is a very nice city. Uh, it gets a bad rap. People there are very friendly. Um, lots of great bars, a great nightlife scene, and and we had a great time. I met, like I said, I met up with Sutton on uh, Friday night. Uh, Saturday night we did a lot of sightseeing and 
I invited Sutton out again like at 11 o'clock. And it got crazy on Saturday night. I'm not going to lie. It got crazy. <laughs> uh, and then Sunday was the game. And Monday morning we came home. We, we came home early. And it was and it was a good time. The thing is, I didn't get to watch the Jets game live, but I did get to watch a replay of it, and I was following tweets uh, throughout the game. And I know that the Dolphins and the Jets played a very ugly game, and the Dolphins got bailed out quite a bit, one, by penalties from the Jets, and two, by the very poor play from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And really, um, if it wasn't for that, the Dolphins probably don't win this game. But in the NFL, you win ugly, and sometimes that's what you have to do. And that's exactly what the Miami Dolphins did on Sunday. And one of the biggest uh, storylines going into that game was Byron Maxwell versus Brandon Marshall. And Brandon Marshall didn't score a touchdown, but Brandon Marshall kind of had his way with Byron Maxwell a little bit. Um, You know, they were roughing it up early in the game. Brandon Marshall caught a few passes and was using that to get in his head. And Byron Maxwell would come back, you know, make make a good play here and there. But if you had to ask who got who got the edge on that one, you know, it's really hard to say because because of the fact that Brandon Marshall didn't score a touchdown one, and then the fact that you know the Jets lost. So really, um, it, it's really hard to say who won that one. And I'm sure when the Dolphins and Jets meet again later this season, it's going to be pretty fun to watch those two go at it once again. Assuming Byron Maxwell is still in the starting lineup. Uh, Brandon Marshall on Sunday, five receptions for 46 yards along of 15. And Maxwell pretty much shadowed him except when Marshall was lining up in the slot. But but going back to to your opinion, to the both of you, Sutton, we'll start with you. Uh, What did you see from from these two guys on Sunday? Well, honestly, from my perspective, kind of tough to watch in stretches. I felt like there was – there's a stretch there where it was three or four plays in a row, maybe one other play sprinkled in there, but it was three or four plays of Maxwell holding or pass interference or something like that. So, And honestly, the more plays that I saw those two, you could have called even more holding penalties on, on Maxwell. So um, I thought the box score didn't necessarily reflect the battle that I saw, which I thought was clearly won by Brandon Marshall. And it was one of those games where you wonder, like, man, we've seen Maxwell D up Antonio Brown, but, I mean, he looked completely lost against Brandon Marshall at times there, especially in the second half. So I guess – and I want to throw a quick question to you guys. Okay, so when we get Culliver – and we get Xavier and Howard back healthy, what's going what's gonna to be the depth chart of the cornerbacks? Assuming that uh, Bryce McCain stays – or I'm sorry, um, Bobby McCain stays at uh, the corner or the nickel, um, who's going to play the boundaries? Do you, I mean, where do you guys see Howard, Lippett, Culliver, and Maxwell? Where do you see that pecking order? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's kind of hard to say based on not being able to see Culliver in this defense and Vance Joseph's attacking defense. We've yet to see him play in that. And, I mean, Byron Maxwell, ever since the first uh, couple games, I mean, like you said, against Pittsburgh, he played well against Antonio Brown. And, I mean, yeah, the the stats, he, he, he played okay against Brandon Marshall. But at the end of the day, I mean, Byron Maxwell played decent football and enough to help his team win this this past week. But for me, I mean, Xavier Howard, you, you kind of think that he's going to slip back into that starting role. Um, I, I like what I've seen from Tony Lippett. He really seems to be uh, starting to get better as the season progresses. And I mean, this is only year two as a cornerback in, in the National Football League. So, I mean, he's really, really impressed me. Like you said, Bobby McCain's pretty much solidified at the uh, nickel spot. So, I mean, it, it is going to be tough to see what what the Dolphins decide to do inevitably with the, the secondary because any of these guys uh, could start and any of these guys, I mean, after one bad day, they could be sitting on the bench. So for me, I think it might come back. <laughs> Xavier Howard's there. I mean, uh, you got Bobby McCain in the slot, Tony Lippett, and then I guess you, you'd go with Maxwell. Or, yeah, it's hard. I, I'm sitting here trying to figure it out, and I just, I just can't. I mean, it, it's hard to say yeah, what I mean, the Dolphins will eventually do. It's – 
It's tough. I mean, because like you said, Colliver, we just don't know that much about him. We know what he's done a couple of years ago, um, but right. hit a serious injury bug there for a while. So I think you have to put him at number four. So right, then you're really exactly. looking at Lippitt, Howard, and Maxwell for, you know, that one, two, three pecking order. And I, for me personally, I've seen enough from Lippitt, and I think we have to go with Howard based on where we drafted him last year and what we've seen so far. So if I'm the general manager or Adam Gase or whoever's responsible for determining um, uh, some of these decisions, then I think you – really have to strongly consider going with the youth based um platform just because I've we've seen Maxwell, he's uh been benched by this coaching staff already, so you'd already have to think he's on a short leash a little bit. And this does seem like a coaching staff that's willing to go the youth route and see how we develop even as we're entering into a possible playoff scenario here. Um I still yeah. think this coaching staff goes young. And, I, had and actually, I do remember when – go ahead, Matt. I had actually asked somebody this past week what they thought if when Culliver returns, whose spot he would take. And he had said that he believes that it will be uh, Byron Maxwell's spot. He's like you were just saying, Sutton, uh, they need to see what they have in Tony Lippett. Tony Lippett is a young guy aspiring to move up in the ranks of the organization and atop the depth chart. So, really, it would make a ton of sense for the Dolphins to go on uh, and move on from Byron Maxwell in that starting lineup position. The fact of the matter is Byron Maxwell has improved a bit this season, but I don't think he's in the Dolphins' plans moving forward into the future. And we can save $5.5 million uh, if we release him after the year. Absolutely. And I think that's what the Dolphins may be planning to do um, after this season, assuming you know maybe he keeps getting better and better. But I think there's a certain peak with Byron Maxwell. I think the Dolphins are doing what they can with him. But eventually, it just may end up catching to them. And, and speaking of, you know, moving on from players and replacing play, players in the starting lineup, the Jets' defensive line, man, what a mess that is. Between Muhammad Wilkerson, Sheldon <laughs> Richardson, you know, not playing in the first quarter and looking absolutely disgusted on the sidelines. Um, you know, what's going on with that? Sutton, do you, do you believe – and that kind of punishment with player discipline, how much of an effect do you think that had in the game in terms of, you know, the Dolphins maybe moving the ball in the beginning part of the game and scoring a few points? You know, after they came in, the Dolphins didn't have the easiest time moving the ball, uh, but they did certainly make their impact known a bit when they entered the game. Well, I think – something very important happened in that first quarter. And that was that 20 yard touchdown run that Ajayi had. And I think it's a fair question to ask if both those guys are in the game, does that run happen? I mean, yeah, possibly it does. But when you have two players of that talent level on the defensive line um, and Houghton, I actually texted when this play happened he texted like, hey, did you just hear him say Omaha? It's like, yeah, he did just say Omaha. So I don't know if he just checked into that play and that's what busted it loose or if that was just – if that was the prescribed play and he was just um, trying to throw distraction at the defense. But um, very effective play. And I don't know if if that play doesn't happen in the first quarter and see a little success. And Adam Gase actually alluded to this in his press conference – if that play doesn't happen, I don't know that he feels as comfortable throughout the game dialing up the run. And he even told his staff, like, hey, remind me, don't don't leave this. Stay after the run game. But I don't know with as many negative yardage plays that we saw early on with Ajayi, if that 20-yard touchdown run doesn't happen, I don't know if that game shakes out the way it, it did. Yeah, I agree with Sutton. I mean, up until that point, J.H.I. was held intact. I mean, I think he had – he was in the negative in yards, and when he hit that 20-yard run, it uh, kind of changed everything. Like he said, I mean, th- I, I do agree that uh, if both of those players are in the lineup, Wilkerson and uh, Richardson, I think it changes everything. I mean, I, I, I don't know that that run doesn't happen, and I do think their defense is playing great up until that point. But for me uh, – I, I do think those players not getting in there in the first 
first quarter. They they came in later in the game. They they obviously you like you said you saw a look on the sidelines. They looked uh they looked pissed off. So I mean it it definitely had something to do with that. But I mean the outcome of the game whether that or not that would have would have went one way or the other it's hard to say. But for me uh yeah running the ball that agile touchdown run that was pretty much the the game changer and what kind of set the tone for the rest of the game. And Jay Ajayi is an absolute monster. I mean, this dude was getting stuffed and stuffed and stuffed. Then he breaks a long one for a touchdown. Then he goes back to being stuffed and, and starts slowly picking up a few yards. And then by the fourth quarter, he was just absolutely on fire. And they couldn't really stop him on initial contact. And that's the kind of runner that Jay Ajayi is. He's a downhill runner. He is someone that's going to push the ball forward. He's going to get every yard that he possibly can. And in that hot Miami weather, he's going to wear up the defense. And that is exactly what the Miami Dolphins' new offensive philosophy has turned into. But then that begs the question, has Adam Gase lost trust in Ryan Tannehill? And looking at the game, Adam Gase did not put Ryan Tannehill in a lot of spots where he can win the game for the Dolphins or make a huge impact. Very conservative, very um, you know, short passes, get the ball out quickly. And it remains to be seen whether, hey, that was the game plan against the Jets to wear them down, or Adam Gase may not trust Ryan Tannehill as much as everyone thinks he may. But then that gets confusing because then you look at all the plays that Tannehill checked out of, and I think there were at least two in that game where he checked out of in two touchdown plays. And so when you see that happening, then you wonder, well, why wouldn't he trust him? But then you could say, well, that part's mental, which it absolutely is. But the physical part, finding the open receiver, getting the ball to the right receiver, throwing it accurately, not throwing an interception, knowing to step up in the pocket, knowing when to run, knowing when to throw it away. You know, those are things that Gase, the head coach, needs to have confidence in Ryan Tannehill to accomplish. How have your thoughts changed after this game on Sunday? where Ryan Tannehill was basically neutered and the JHI in the defense had to win the game for the Dolphins. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure my thoughts have changed. I think all along that uh, Tannehill, he's one of those quarterbacks that he just needs things around him to go right in order for, for him to have a successful day. I mean, he's shown the physical tools and the capability of being one of the – making all those throws that the elite quarterbacks make, but then he comes back and he's staring down a receiver, going not going through his progressions, making a bad errant pass. So, I mean – for me, it's hard to say that Adam Gase lost trust in Ryan Tannehill. I think he's just starting to to realize Ryan Tannehill's uh, capabilities, and he, I think what he's starting to see is that with that run game and that offensive line, I mean, that's the best way to have success in the NFL. And when you set up the run, then you, that brings up, that opens up the play action, and it gives Ryan Tannehill all these other options. So for me, I think Adam Gase, not necessarily lost trust in Tannehill, but he's starting to realize that if he wants to continue to win and have success, that the key to that, in my opinion, is Jay Ajayi. Yeah, I I will agree with that, that Ajayi is – he's one of the top running backs in the NFL, and I don't know how that happens so quickly, but just his ability – just the, even on that 20-yard touchdown run that we've already talked about, he had to take some pretty, what I would say, some nuanced angles uh, towards that pylon to get into the end zone without having anybody even touch him. So I think he just takes immaculate angles once he gets out into space, and this offensive line has been able to get him out into space. But anyway, going back to Tannehill, I, I think if you pulled, say you pulled Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and any other quarterback that you would deem elite, and you would say, all right, I can assure you that you're going to get 150 yards on the ground today. How much do you think that opens up the playbook? I mean, so I, I guess I, I don't see it as a trust issue with Tannehill. I think it's just smart football to play that way. You're Being absolutely able right. to it's run the ball football. consistently, especially as the weather gets colder and all that kind of, all those other weather factors come into place, to be able to have a run game is the safest way to move the ball in the NFL point. Absolutely. I don't think there's any question about it. So if that can be your basis for an offense, I think any 
elite quarterback that has ever played would sign up for that in a heartbeat. No, I agree with you 100% because that's how football teams end up winning when it comes time for playoffs. And I know, yes, it's too early to start talking playoffs, but if Adam Gase wants to turn this team into a playoff team, you need to have a running game. You need to have a bruising running game where they're going to come in and, you know, make an impact and, and really control the game. I'm going to bring well, and, in. And, and MC Money, another aspect of this game, this kind of sloppy win that we had against the Jets, like we have a young team, so we have to learn how to win ugly too. I think just learning how to win in this league period is a art in itself. And so to have all these young players find themselves in a game like they just did against the Jets and be able – and you guys have been Dolphins fans for a long time like I have. Those, that script of that game, we usually lose that game. Would you agree? Yeah. Absolutely. Especially I mean, we Joe usually Sullivan, I mean, lose that game. So the fact that these young players are finding that valuable lesson of being able to win ugly and do whatever it takes to get that win, doesn't matter what it looks like on the scorecard. I think that's a very valuable lesson for this team going forward. I'm going to bring in Finn Fan for life. Onto the show, he is one of our dedicated callers. If you want to call into the show, please call us at 347-326-9461, 347-326-9461. I'm going to bring FinFan for life. I'm going to throw this over to you, Sutton, to take FinFan for life's question. Hello. First, I've got a statement and two questions, actually. My statement, a statement is and two questions. That's a lot for us to keep track of. Well, the statement is real simple. I don't think it's that Adam Gase lost trust in Tannehill. I just think that the health of our team favors the running game. We have two tight ends that basically are injured right now. We have Devontae Parker, who can't even catch a cold right now. Stills is hurt, and the only one that we have that we can really rely on is, well, our own little beast mode, I like to call him. But that's why I feel like we're not relying on Tannehill as much as we are the run game because now that the O-line's healthy, it can open up those holes and it can make the job easier for the running back. You know, as for the first question, if Devontae Parker does not get his act straight together, do you think that and it kind of like coincides. But do you think that perhaps we see Tony Lippett start to take some snaps considering he does have that experience at wide receiver and he does have that size that we pretty much drafted Devontae Parker for? I will answer that first question. I'd say that it's a novel thought, but I don't think there's any chance that we would um, – take that route unless it's a uh, sub-package red zone goal line sort of stuff um, that maybe, and I've, I've actually seen some talk about Jordan Phillips after that interception he had against the Jets developing into like a William Perry refrigerator type role. Um, so I think it's an interesting concept, but I don't see us making a, a true dual threat sort of thing. I just think that's too much for him to take on. I think he needs to focus on becoming a better cornerback for this team. That's where he's going to fit our niche the way we want it to. And my second question is, has Kiko Alonso and Andre Branch done enough to warrant more time with the Dolphins? I'll throw this one to you, Houts. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Kiko Alonso has been one of the big difference makers on the defense. And, I mean, we, we see each and every week within the run game, he's a, he's a real force to be reckoned with. He's always around the ball. And then this past weekend, we even saw him make some plays in coverage, which is what I thought his weakness was. So, I mean, I think Kiko Alonso definitely deserves more time with the Dolphins. And I know there's still some questions about his contract, whether or not he's, he's still here for another year or whether or not we need to extend at the end of the season. I'm not sure that we ever found out – which one was right. So I'm, I'm not sure if Kiko's under contract in 2017, but if he is, and I definitely think the Dolphins need to sign him. As for Andre Branch, I know 
a lot of Jacksonville fans weren't very happy with him, but since he's come to Miami, he's, he's done very well. And I mean, he's still a young defensive end and that's, that's what this team's heading into the draft. That's one of their biggest needs. So, I mean, I guess it all comes down to money. I, I think Kiko Alonso needs to be extended at all costs, given how bad our, our linebacking core is. And as for Andre Branch, I think uh, based on youth and his age and, and what he's shown so far, if he keeps it up, I definitely think both players need to be considered to be extended. Cool. All right, all right, Finn Fan for Life. Thank you for calling. One day you will tell us your real name instead of your screen name. All right, let's move over to the <laughs> Finn Snyder Radio live thread. Uh, House and Sutton, what do we have going on tonight? All right, I'll, I'll go first and then throw it to House. Um, Dolphin Fan for Life, he did mention something about, you know, the reliance on the running game is, especially in that Jets game, was based on, you know, Stills getting hurt and Parker just not showing up. And one of the kind of overlapping questions I see on there from Scrappy the Wildcat, one of my favorite Finsiders, he says, is Parker's production or lack thereof concerning? Is he fully healthy? And we had talked about this earlier in the season about uh, the way he takes care of his body and his attention to detail. And it doesn't seem like that's picking up at all from what I've seen. I don't know if it's just um, a sensitive injury and I'm just overanalyzing everything, but I am legitimately starting to get worried about what we have in Devontae Parker going forward. If I, I just get a kind of a, a general sense of apathy with him and I, I I don't know if we can get that out of him per se. So it's if this coaching staff has proven anything, they can get something out of players that it didn't seem like you could get some from before. So I think if Devontae Parker fails with the Miami Dolphins, it's very likely he fails in the NFL period. Completely All right, agree. what else you got going on? Uh, here we go. There's one from uh, Detona Dolphin. He asked, uh, how does our defense stack up against San Diego? They put up some serious points this past week. You want to take that one, Matt? Sorry, I was on mute. Yes, I will absolutely take that. Who is that from? I just want, I just want to have an idea who Detona that is. Detona Dolphin. Daytona Dolphin. All right, another one of a uh, one of our loyal followers on the Finsider Radio live thread. We always appreciate you guys interacting with us each week. I think our defense stacking up against the San Diego Chargers, it's really complicated for me. We saw them in Miami, uh, was it last year or two, it was two years ago, where they absolutely dominated them. The Dolphins have gone to San Diego and beaten the Chargers. It seems like the Dolphins have the Chargers number no matter where they play and when they play. The Dolphins have been getting better at stopping the run, and that is absolutely going to be a focal point in the game with Melvin Gordon running all over the place like a madman the past few weeks. Can they continue to stay in their lanes and stay true to their assignments where they are going to stop the run? They have an amazing quarterback in Phillip Rivers. Some people think he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. Their wide receiver core is something to be desired. Travis may not play. Tyrell Williams is playing hurt. They do, however, however, have Antonio Gates. <clears throat> Antonio Gates has not caught a pass longer than 20 yards this season, so you know he's not going to stretch the field on the Dolphins' defense. If they can keep Antonio Gates in front of them and limit him to short passes, they may be able to get the Chargers off the field. But the key, kind of like the Pittsburgh game, stop the run, force the quarterback to throw, unload the pass rush, and make things happen. All right, what's our next one? Alpha six I got something from Alpha, Alpha 6. He's one of our um, most notorious insiders. Uh, he asked, can the Dolphins get into the playoffs with the secondary at hand? I think that's a very legitimate question. Um, I was uh, initially during the season worried about a run defense more, more so than our pass defense, although I recognize that both have their flaws. But as we go forward and seeing how the Jets were were able to move the ball, 
I wasn't necessarily worried with that Forte run, and I, I think that was just one blown assignment that ended up turning in huge yardage. Obviously, you want to limit those big plays as possible, but, but that was one play that was inefficient compared to many that were. Um, so, But I, I thought the pass defense against the Jets was probably the most inefficient of on the defense in terms of limiting what they were able to do. So I think uh, it's a very – it really depends on how some of these injuries and the depth chart shakes out, like we talked about earlier. I mean, does uh, Lippitt and Howard become the starting cornerbacks from here on and, and go forward? Or as Maxwell, are we keep going back and forth? You know, where does Culliver fit in? So – um, very interesting question, especially while Rashad Jones is um, sadly not with us. All right, we're going to switch gears and head on over to Twitter, and we'll get to the rest of the questions on the Finfighter Radio live thread at the end of the show. Uh, guess what, guys? Guess who asks us a question on Twitter? Ray Caruth. Ray Caruth. No, not Ray Caruth. Bob Caruth, you dummy. Bob right. Caruth. <laughs> Ray Caruth was the guy that murdered his girlfriend or something, right? Yeah, if he's interacting with us on Finside Radio, then that is going to be a little... Uh, yeah, let's take his question. <laughs> yeah, just a statement from Jay Hicks here. Vance Joseph is the man making this the passable with no skill, great game plan. He needs to get some credit. You are absolutely correct. Everyone said Vance Joseph coming into this role knew how to get the most out of his player and to scheme their weaknesses. Now that they are buying into it, we see the results, and the results are absolutely positive. Okay, Bob Caruth, we answered your first question already about Gase's confidence in Ryan Tannehill. Let's see. Given all the playoff talk, if they don't make it, is this season a disappointment, given they weren't supposed to go anyways? And Bob, I don't, I don't think it's a disappointment. I mean, I, I know I'll be disappointed, but when you really look at it logically, the Dolphins weren't expected to contend for the playoffs this year. They are right now, so if they make it, I think it's a bonus, and I think it's just a testament to how much of a great job Adam Gates and the coaching staff have done with this team. But if they don't make it, yeah, we're all going to be disappointed because they put us in this position to believe right now. But again, looking logically at it, I really don't think there's any rational explanation where you can say, well, damn, they missed the playoffs, they suck. Unless they have a chance to win it in either week 16 or 17 with the win, like the Dolphins had a few years ago, and blow both of those games. All right, Bob, we're going to go into one more of your question, then we're going to jump back into our conversation about the upcoming game against the San Diego Chargers. Who is the next surprise player to stand up and get noticed? Sutton or House? Which one of you want to take this question? I'll take it. For me, it's, uh, for me, it's Leonto Carew. I mean, you see he was still going down, How? or I guess he was ill, but was still out, and uh, Parker not really living up to his expectations. I think the Dolphins invested uh, quite a lot in Carew, and I think uh, – as these weeks progress, we will definitely see him stepping into that role. I mean, you saw at Rutgers, he was a touchdown machine. So he hasn't quite lived up to his potential yet, but the Dolphins put quite the price tag on him when they moved up to get him. And I think we're going to start to see him become more involved in the offense going forward. And they All weren't right. afraid to throw it to him because they did target him. Yep. Obviously, you know, Tannehill overshot him a little bit probably because they don't have enough reps to get that type of route together so far, but uh, they targeted him and it was going to be a big play too. I mean, he had a step on him, so you got to think that they're not going to be hesitant throwing his way. I agree with you completely on that one as well. All right, let's head on over now to the San Diego Chargers game on Sunday. They will kick off on the West Coast. So that means if you live on the East Coast, it is going to be a late afternoon game for you, which may not be the worst thing, but it's also not the best thing. Because if you had all that anticipation leading up to the game, and then guess what happened? They lose, right? 
So yes. then you're like, damn, you know, we were all excited about this game and now they lost. And now there's really no time to catch your breath between the Dolphins game and a Sunday night game. And then you're depressed for the rest of the night and just sit there and fall asleep on your sofa. But anyways, 4.05 p.m. on the East Coast, 1.05 p.m. on the West Coast. Game will be on CBS Live from Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego, California, which may not be the home of the Chargers much longer after their vote yesterday. But looking at the offensive side of the ball for the game plan for the Dolphins, the Chargers' defense is not good. And they might be missing a few interior linemen. Continue to pound the ball with Jay Ajayi. You can never go wrong with that. One, you control the possession of the game. Two, you wear down the defense. Three, you open up the playbook. Sutton, what's your key on offense? I mean, that's that's the perfect word, balance. That's that's what we need on offense is balance. And when you're able to run the ball against the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets of the NFL and be able to do it consistently well, I don't think there's any reason to deviate from that. So unless San Diego steps up their run game in a very major way, and to Jai's uh, credit, he's been running against eight yard, or I'm sorry, eight man boxes and everything. I mean, he's seen the whole gamut of stuff trying to slow him down, and they just have not been able to figure out a way. So you cannot deviate from that. And like you said, it opens up a playbook. I would like to see uh, a couple early runs and then a play-action pass over the top to somebody. I don't care who it is. Um, it would be sweet if it was Jakeem Grant. But anyway, get a play-action pass over the top, take whatever little crowd is going to be there out of the game early. Let's make this a true, like, neutral football game. And I think that improves our chances for the rest of the day going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Getting J.H.I. involved is definitely the key to the game. For me, it's it's Ryan Tannehill. I mean, he's looked pretty decent these past few weeks. He hasn't turned the ball over as much as previously. And, I mean, for me, if he can stand back there, give the ball to Jai, continue to, to make plays where the, what the defense gives them, I think uh, the Dolphins have a good chance of beating San Diego. It might be a tougher task than we think. But, I mean, this has huge uh, playoff implications. I think both teams are fighting for a wild card. We're both at – well, we're at 4-4. Four and four. I think they they might be at 4-4 four and four also, and they're in that tough AFC West. So, I mean, for us, it's a huge game, and I think if Tannehill can limit his mistakes and not turn the ball over, I guess the same can be said for the entire offense. The Dolphins have a much better chance of beating the Chargers on Sunday. Yeah, the Chargers are 4-5, and five, so they're right in the hunt for the wild card right now and going into Week 10, and this is going to be huge. You're right. It is going to have big implications in the wild card race because whoever wins this game will have that tiebreaker. And while the Chargers would have the same record, or no, the Chargers would have the same amount of losses as the Dolphins, one more win. It's it's not. Yeah, that would be a very that would be a very awkward thing to lose to San Diego and then turn around and have them need to beat all the other AFC West teams that are in our way. I mean, that's the one division in terms of the wild card that's really in our way because you have – I mean, San Diego is fourth in their division right now. They're four and five. Right. So, Crazy. you know, you have the Broncos, the Raiders. You got the um, – I can't think Chiefs. of the other team right now. I feel like Ryan Tannehill. I don't even know the divisions and stuff. Chiefs. It was, yeah, all the Chiefs, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are the teams that are in our way right now. So, we have to beat San Diego and then in turn hope that they beat those other teams ahead of right. us. Right, right. So we we need to beat the Chargers. Dolphins need to beat them. Um, Broncos hopefully start losing still, continue to start losing. Chiefs and Raiders are sitting pretty at the top there, 7-2, and 6-2. and two. All right, on the defensive side of the ball, and I kind of touched on this already, it is my belief that the Dolphins work to shut down Melvin Gordon and force Phillip Rivers to pass, then the Dolphins have a good shot at winning. And I know that sounds a little weird, right? Why would you want a potential Hall of Fame quarterback to pass the ball. But like I said, you stop the run, you can get your pass rush going, which is how this defense was built to rush the passer. And you could really start to wreak some havoc on Rivers and make him uncomfortable in the pocket and start to hit him a little bit and force these journeyman wide receivers to start making plays. And for me, if the Dolphins do that, they'll come out of this game with the win. Uh, how, How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with you 
with what you said as well. I mean, Melvin Gordon, he's been one of the NFL's elite running backs this year. He looks a lot more like uh, the running back we expect him to look coming out of college. So, I mean, if the Dolphins could shut him down, force Phillip Rivers to, to beat him with his arm, and, I mean, then that's when, like you said, the, those defensive ends are licking their chops. The Dolphins, Vance Joseph, he's, he's bringing the heat. And, I mean, you said it earlier, the, the Chargers are banged up at receiver. Yes, they have uh, – Antonio Gates and, and Hunter Henry, but I mean, at wide receiver, they're pretty thin. So if the Dolphins can stop Melvin Gordon, I, I think ultimately that's going to be what keeps them in this game and inevitably beats the Chargers. And kudos to that young man for turning his whole NFL career around. Uh, last year, obviously, he struggled in a very major way, and uh, this year has totally uh, renamed himself. So um, we have a very difficult game to uh, scheme. It's a balanced offense. I mean, Rivers can do some things, uh, despite, you know, the, the Keenan Allen injury. Uh, but obviously Melvin Gordon has done some things this year. So this is a, a difficult game for us to game plan. Um, I think you have to tackle Melvin Gordon very well. He's a big guy like Jay Ajayi. So you have to be able to uh, – tackle him, slow him down, maybe trip him up in the backfield before he gets before he gets going. Um, the San Diego offense really does a lot of drags and stuff across the middle with their wide receivers, so I think we tackling is going to be a huge thing for this game. We need to be able to limit the yak that, that the, the San Diego wide receivers might get, but I think ultimately the biggest uh, component of our game plan has to be to pressure Phillip Rivers. I mean, he's a he's a stationary quarterback. I mean, obviously he has a quick release. I mean, that's what he's known for. But he's a stationary guy, and to have someone like Cam Wake be able to attack from the outside like he does and then have a guy like Sue be able to um, manipulate the interior pressure pretty well, I think that's going to be something unique for Phillip Rivers. I think um, when he's going against the Denver Broncos and such, he's worried about the edge you can't just worry about the edge with the Miami Dolphins. You have to consider what's going on in the middle, too. So I think we're going to have an interesting way to generate some pressure with a fairly immobile quarterback. And since he's kind of a sitting target, like you guys said, if we are able to make them one-dimensional and Philip Rivers is just back there slinging it and we are pinning our ears back, that's going to favor us, I believe. And what is Philip Rivers always so good at doing, guys? He's so good at getting rid of the ball early. I mean, right before he, he'll take a hit, but make a good throw, too. Right. But he also likes to throw interceptions, right? That's yeah. true, too. That is true. So if the Dolphins pressure him like you're talking about and making him uncomfortable like you're talking about, then Philip Rivers might start to throw some picks and some and some lame ducks in the air. And he is notorious for that, you know, trying to rush the ball out of his hands and trying to force the ball into a target. And when he's getting pressure, trying to get rid of the ball, the Dolphins can do that. Yeah, they have a shot at winning this that's game. That's a good point. Like, you know, if we can get off to that early lead with Ajayi controlling the game and <laughs> – and Rivers feels kind of forced to do some certain things that create the action on the offense. Yeah, he does tend to press a little bit because he's such a competitor. He wants to will his team to victory, but it doesn't always happen that way, does it? So um, if we can get Sue getting in his face early and then Wake being able to clean up a few things, maybe do a little um, cause a fumble early or something like that, rattle his confidence – then Rivers is a human like everybody else. That's absolutely correct. Before we get into our predictions for Sunday's game, let's move into the fan interaction once again and wrap up the live thread. I'm going to wrap up my Twitter questions. Uh, Esteban Sabros, this will be a very short answer for Esteban. Will Sunday's game in San Diego be decided by whose ground game stands out the strongest? Jay Ajayi versus Melvin Gordon. We talked about both of these scenarios with coming at Phillip Rivers with the pass rush, making him feel uncomfortable. And then the Ryan Tannehill not having the trust, possibly from Adam Gase, and really uh, struggling sometimes to lead the team at passing the ball the entire game. So, Esteban, yes, I think that's what the game will come down to, whose running game is the best. 
All right, Sutton House, take me on any remaining questions on the FinFetter Radio live thread. Alex, you go first. Yeah, Scrappy the Wildcat, he asked, uh, are the Dolphins still looking to add running back depth? Uh, I mean, I think we saw with the Storm Johnson to the practice squad signing that. I mean, they're still trying to turn over every leaf and trying to find depth at all positions, but it, it does seem like they're still trying to look to add running back depth despite what Kenyon Drake has done. I mean, I know he hasn't done much on offense, but he looked great on that kick return, and Damian Williams is playing out of his mind. Same with Jay Ajay. I mean, so, yeah. Yes, they're looking to add running back depth, but I think they got to be happy with the group they currently have. All right, so what else we got going on? I got at the midway point of 2016, how would you guys rate the following? Adam Gase. So let's start there. Adam Gase, I would rate him. I don't know if we're doing like letter grades or number grades or whatever, but Adam Gase, I feel very confident in him. Um, and I, I, I won't go – at length about why, but he's he just uh, he's honest. Um, I believe in what culture he's trying to set in the locker room and in terms of uh, what he expects out of his players. And I see a little bit more creativity from him in terms of play calling, um, but I also see him uh, seeing something that works and just going with it and not overthinking things. So. He's a young guy that's still evolving, and that's a guy that I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to go down with. He also asked, you know, Vance Joseph and and uh, Darren Rizzi, how would you rate them at the midway point? Vance Joseph, I've, I, I've had a little bit of mixed results with him. Um, so it, it, it's – but we talked about this earlier. The defense is starting to come together. Uh, the play calls seem to be coming together better production from the defense. Darren Rizzi, the, the, the face that he gave Terrence today when he uh, had the roughing the kicker, roughing the punter penalty, that face alone, I will never – I love him. I will always love him no matter what he does the rest of his NFL career. The fact that he gave me that face for a player that did something so stupid – that just reinforced everything for me for that guy. Yeah, that he is. Yeah, that face, man, man, that thing went viral. <laughs> it's <on>. like <laughs> it, it was a worse face than my father ever gave me, and I did some stupid stuff as a yeah, kid. Yeah, that was insane. But oh my god, this—I mean, his eyes were so intense. Like, I wish I could cut you right now, you stupid. You know. Yeah, uh, it was. <laughs> it was perfect. It was great. It was great. How do we have anything else from the live thread tonight? I think we nailed them all, from what I see. Uh, all right. That means yep. there's only one thing left. That means it's prediction time. And how? I'm gonna throw this one to you first this week. What do you got for us? All right. I once made the mistake of going against the Dolphins, and you guys uh, threw me under the bus there. So I'm gonna go with Dolphins 20, Chargers 17. Dolphins go to five and four. Nice. Sutton, what do you got? Oh, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I I guess what? if you I think crazy. about this game just in general, I think this is going to be kind of a high-scoring affair. I do think San Diego's offense will pose some problems for our defense. So we win this game. We win 31-27. All right. And I am going to say Miami 24, San Diego 17, Dolphins win. I might be being a homer here. I don't have a ton of confidence in the Dolphins. I think this is a really tough game for them. But what the hell? Why would I root against the Dolphins? There's really no point. All right. That is it this week on Finsider Radio. Thank you for joining us on our special evening this Wednesday, the day after the election. We don't talk about the election on Finsider Radio. We're not getting into that. You can talk about it on Twitter, on Facebook, on Snapchat, on whatever you may do out there in your personal lives. Tonight, it was all about the Dolphins. And on Sunday, it's going to be all about the Dolphins. We'll see what they can do against the San Diego Chargers. And for Josh Houtson, Aaron Sutton, I'm Matt Kanata. Thank you for joining us once again on Finsider Radio.
western bacon cheese burger cheese bacon western bacon cheese burger i'm talking carl jr pick it up western bacon cheese burger carl jr pick it up hello you're listening to simone de roche for one of the hosts of the polygon show it's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.